your favourite albums. Disgust. Track by track. On today's podcast... Now, here are your hosts, Campbell and Jack. Hello and welcome back to Track by Track with Campbell and Jack. I'm your host, Jack Walker, and today we wrap up Supergroup September, the theme month of September that we've been doing over the last few weeks. And I'm I'm here to introduce a man who's super in his own way, not because of goodwill or helping others, but because he was on time today. Campbell Morath. It's the first time I think we've done it. And actually, coincidentally enough, you had a bit of trouble getting the intro down to this. There, there were a couple of takes couple beforehand of takes. that we had to cut out. So maybe it's all spinning around. I'm on time and, and Jack's <laughs> just slipping over his words. No, it's good to be here, Jack. It's good to... It's a little bit, it's a little bit somber. It's, I feel like I did it at the end of uh, Metal May. It's the last, it's the last, last week. One. Yep. And, um, but yeah, we should be... It should be a good one. Uh, this has been this was kind of the first one we thought of when yeah we thought straight of away this, as September. as soon as we came up with Supergroup September this album was instantly locked a lock. in. Yeah. So we'll get to that a little bit later. But first off, iTunes leave a rating and review, please. It means a lot to us. Please give a, give a uh, subscribe This if, could be uh, a, if you're a bit of a Snoop Dogg. This could be a long thing. podcast. Everyone. Very very long podcast. But yes, so today's the final episode of Supergroup September. We'll talk about the album, every track on it, and we've also got uh, the fan favourite segment now, I suppose, the Supergroup recap. Yes. So we will be it's been a big week. We will be recapping episode three later on. But the thing is, Campbell, we often like to live by the saying that no news is good news. It's been pretty quiet this week, isn't it? Yeah, it's been fairly quiet. I found a couple of things, but because we have such a big podcast to get through today, I figured that. We just go straight into the album. Plenty of tracks. Plenty of tracks to Plenty uh, of to tracks. So when it comes to supergroups, we've talked about Crosby, Stills and Nash, Travelling Warbreeze, but today we're going to talk about one from, you know... 2009. 2009. Fairly recent, yet it features old heads, yes. as it were. Yeah. So today we will be talking about Them Crooked Vultures and their self-titled album from 2009. I just think this is something that uh, an idea alone just made total sense and you know if, if, if this is what you get to do for a living you should kind of throw caution to the wind and try to advance the arts in any way possible you know I mean this this is sort of a cool idea to, to not just do uh, pop idol you know, <laughs> yeah. but to make some avant-garde rock music I played the chop before and played the John a few times before and we, I was looking for something to do outside of the Foo Fighters because we've been on tour for so long and it was just time to, it's time for something new. And I miss playing the drum. It's got to be fun. It really has. And uh, yeah, I just came over in February, met Josh for the first time. We went pretty much straight into the studio and just started having fun, basically. It only made sense that I try to get two of my favorite musicians to come together and jam with me. They couldn't make it, so... So, Campbell, can you talk about Them Crooked Vultures for me? Who is in Them Crooked Vultures? Why should we care? Well, it's the ultimate supergroup, as far as I'm concerned. This is actually one of the one of the bands we've done that was like, I knew them first, and I introduced them to you. Yes. Which is really surprising, given who's in it. Um, I think my interest came from uh, the man with the drums, 
Mr. David G, David Grohl. Dr. G. Dr. G, keeper of the D. And uh, he's... So he's, for those who don't know that uh, reference, he's the drummer in Tenacious D. He does all the drumming kicker. on their albums. Um, so he's on drums. Um, you've got uh, John Paul Jones. Who? from John Paul Jones, the illustrious bass player <laughs> slash piano player slash banjo Everything. player. Uh, I think he holds the world record for most instruments played by one person. I think that's actually... <laughs> At the same time. Actually true. Uh, he's on bass and, and keys. And everything else. And everything else. On this album. And then Joshua Home is uh, on the guitar and vocals. Third time Josh has come up in a podcast. We've, we've done two Queen's albums, yeah. and now he's coming up on them Crooked Vultures. And two Queen's albums. We always used to talk about what was going to be the first double-up album. Yeah. Uh, or first double-up artist, rather. And it was Josh. I would, I would not have thought that. Well, that time and place, you know, new Queen's album, of course. Yeah, it just, it worked perfectly. It worked perfectly. Because we wanted to do Like Clockwork early on. Cause, mm. Because that was an album that we could just talk, do, we could yeah. just talk hours about that. Yeah, I think um, this is probably, this might be his last mention for a while, Josh. Yeah, we'll try. Don't want to bore the viewers with more Josh, but he's, he's a great musician. He's a fascinating individual, yeah. isn't he? There could be some some David G in the works, and there could be some John Paul Jones in the works. So Very true. You never know what's going to come First up. time... Either of them have got a reference in Which the podcast. Which is weird, isn't it? 26 episodes in. There you go. So anyway, we move on now to a bit of how they came to be. Mm. And you know what? I couldn't actually find a whole lot no. on how they No, formed. they're very mysterious. Very mysterious. I like that word, mysterious. Mm. Like, that's exactly what I was thinking. Mm. So apparently, from what I read, Dave Grohl started the roots of the project back in 2005. Apparently, in an interview, he was talking about how he wanted to do something with Josh Homme and John Paul Jones, of all people. Yeah. But the project didn't actually come to fruition into, until 2009, where they started recording. And amazingly, the only real you know, archive of their existence of this period happens to be this. He's got an insatiable thirst for coffee. I mean, if I drank that much coffee... I would cry, decaf. Justin, fresh pot! Fresh pot! Fresh pot! Hey Dave, you want some coffee? Yeah, you can make it fresh pot. Justin, fresh pot. So, for those who have no idea what the hell just happened, would you like to elaborate on uh, fresh pots? Yeah, I, I would. I don't know much about it. All I know is that uh, it was kind of it came out around the time of this band, kind of late 2008, early 2009, uh, talking about. Dave's, Dave's Obs obsession with, with fresh un brewed un coffee. Unhealthy obsession. Yeah. Apparently he drinks a lot of the stuff. He also chews a lot of gum. He does. Like he chews a real lot of gum. Yeah, if you watch any Foo Fighters show, it's, yeah, it's, always, it's all he does. Yeah, so um, so this in, is the little skit they came up with. Yeah, they're in the recording studio. You see Josh Homme and John Paul Jones, and it's just a compilation of Dave either asking for coffee, drinking mm. coffee, or being hyped up on yeah, coffee. Yeah, or being angry at the fact he doesn't have coffee. Exactly. Which is great. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's quite the, quite the uh, introduction to a musical group. Yeah. Um, but it's very Joshua Holm, I think. It's oh, yeah. That, that kind Just of that whole, if, 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 if I drank that much coffee, I would cry decaf. <laughs> I would cry decaf. And I, and I love that thing they put at the end where they say Dave was rushed to, like, intensive care after yeah. um, insatiable thirst yeah. for coffee yeah. no, it's yeah. like seriously he was really messed up yeah if you haven't seen the video check it up it's on youtube literally yeah. just type in fresh pots dave has a, an yeah. unhealthy insatiable taste for, for coffee um yeah it's it's great um so that's kind of the funny thing and they seem to have this kind of bond already you see in interviews and stuff of just kind of getting along yeah i i saw a couple of interviews prior to this because i was actually trying to find an interview where the interviewer asked the 
question, how did you guys form? Mm. But it's all about like, how do you guys feed off each other? I mean, you're so epic. Yeah, yeah. You know, with your own style. And they are. Yeah, One I mean, thing that, you know, they say that the, the three piece is the true essence of rock and roll. And I think that's in a lot of cases quite true. true. Very true. I think the sound that we get from this album is so big. And I looked, Ma- I looked, massive, I looked yeah. on the personnel. There are only three people playing instruments. Yes. There's another guy doing a bit of mixing and a bit of yes. voice stuff. But there are three instruments at one time being played um, with overdubs, obviously. But you can hear them. And it's almost hard to pick all the different instruments out. I think it's a lot. I know there, with... there's so many that are just shoved in. And, you know, yeah. John Paul Jones is probably the mastermind behind that because he can play. It's a this big. eclectic mix yeah. of instruments. It's a big that, sounding record. It's, it's a really huge. big sounding record. Um, anyway, so moving on. So they only recorded this one album. Yes. Which is a little bit sad because there was a massive cult following behind this. They did a massive world tour. They sold out shows. And everyone was just left wanting more. But since 2009, there's barely been a whimper from the Them Crooked Vultures camp. And I have a, uh, I have a theory. I believe it's because after that tour, so they toured for about a year, that's well into early 2011. Yeah, it's, uh, it's 2010. Late 2010. Around that. And then Wasting yeah, Light right. came out in 2011. Well, yeah, and then like Clockwork... Uh, a couple of years later, and so they John Paul Jones is probably doing his own stuff. Sitting on a beach somewhere, drinking a cocktail. Yeah, That's I hope they're doing. Like, yeah. I hope they're not... They did a lot of touring. Like, they were doing, there was a time when I was reading about Led Zeppelin, they did, I think it was something like 300 shows a year. Yeah, insane. And, like, in a row. So they had, like... They had 65 days off. You know, it was fun. But that that's recording. That's going to do interviews. That's... Yeah, promotion so you, and You don't know how, how much time they actually have stuff, to yeah. themselves. But, yeah. Um, Robert Plant's got a new album out talking about... I uh, did see those that. musicians are still going. A little, little bit of news there. there yeah, you he's, go. going to, he's going to Blues Fest as well. He's the Is first he? person that's been... Yep. For his third time back, I think. Uh, he's got an all-new band, though. So that should be interesting to look at when they come out. We, we might uh, give that a bit of a look, uh, his new album, when it comes out. Yeah, definitely. We'll see, we'll see how we go. It's out in a week or so. so. Okay. Anyway, um, that's it. So they did their one album, but Dave actually said in, in an interview uh, from this year that they're always thinking about coming back together. Mm. But I guess it's sort of hard when you've got Josh Homm and Dave Grohl, who are arguably... Who are touring behind arguably the two big, biggest rock records in the world right now with villains and concrete and gold? Yeah, and they're doing a, a, a they're doing their own show, Cal Jam. Yeah, it's Cal Jam. In and but they're California. also they're, they're going yeah. around Europe and South America as Foo Fighters with Queens of Stone Age to opening for them. Yep, which is good. I would find it a little bit a bit of pill to swallow if I was Queens of Stone Age. So why are we opening for you? Yeah, like we're around first. Mm. They're around late. Ooh, Foo Fighters were first, but Josh Homme. He started with Caius back in like 87 or 88 or something. Mm. But, and Dave... Well, from, Dave well, so actually, actually, Yeah, he, he was with, with Scream. Probot was 2000s. Yeah, right. His solo project. That's often an overlooked Dave Grohl project. Yeah. The Probot album. But Scream was late 80s. It was around Caius time. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Early 90s, maybe. Before, obviously before, never mind, 91, so... So they probably started around the same time. I think they're about the same age, mid yeah. late forties. Yeah. So well, he's forty eight. Dad's forty eight. Okay. He's getting old now, isn't he? Yeah, he's a bit old. Yeah. Suits that run video clip from their new album. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that they're in that vid- particular video clip. They're sort of playing at the fact that they're getting older, and yeah, I think that's the whole idea. Yeah. yeah. Fair yeah. enough. Uh, so anyway, moving on to a bit of trivia. So it was released on the sixteenth of November two thousand and nine. So as you mentioned, they toured for about a year, going well into two thousand and ten. I didn't actually realise they toured as much as they did. They no. did a ton of shows uh, behind this album. Yeah. 
massive. So it was self-produced. Yeah. But, but I'm interested, what do they, like how long will one of their shows be? Because they've, they've only got 66 minutes of material. That's true, yeah. Yeah, that's a good right. point. If, you have, if probably, you have two albums, you can do a three-hour show easily. There's probably extended jams. and I'll get up a couple of set lists yeah. when we uh, throw to this first song. Uh, so, yes, it was produced by them Crooked Vultures, so self-produced. Uh, and also someone involved, Alan Mulder, mm. involved in the mixing, and he's done Everything. a lot Everything. a lot of artists over yeah. the years. So apparently the band was originally going to be called uh, Caligula, Caligula or something. Mm. But uh, they only found that uh, it was already taken by a Sydney, I'm not, I'm not making this up, mm. a Sydney techno grunge group. There you go. Techno grunge. But it's copyright, man. You can't take it. Yeah. Doesn't matter how big you are. And finally, the group won the 2011 Grammy Award for Best Hard Rock Performance for New Fang, which was the first single from the album. So, as we said, we've got a lot to get through. It's a long album, uh, 13 tracks, I think. Yeah. So, we're going to start that now. Plus, we've got the Supergroup Episode 3 recap coming straight after that. So, here's the first song from the album, No, Lo- no One Loves Me and Neither Do I. Wow. What a cracking opener. What a tune. I'm, I'm getting a sweat off. Now, just so everyone knows, the section we played just then is from the first half of the song. There are two songs in this. There are two songs in this. So the section we just played is that, no one loves me. Ding, ding. You know, and that's and that's cool and everything. And, yeah. You know, I, I like that. It, you know, it opens with that real, you know, great Dave Grohl beat. You know, we, we've talked about drum riffs on this show. In this song, the drums just have that distinctive groove, and then it goes into that really... I called it sludgy. Yeah. You know, tuned down. It's a bit kiasy, isn't it? Yeah, bit, it, it is a bit kiasy, and it's mm. that, you know, a little bit sloppy at the same time, so we'll give that a little bit of a play. And now. also got to play the uh, the drums as well. Yes, as well. The, the intro. Yep. Yeah. What I also like about that is already you can sort of hear a bit of weird instrumentation. It sounds like someone's hitting like empty bottles in the background or something. It's creating this like ting noise. Yeah, I'm not closely. sure if they're kind of like old cowbells or something, but yeah, it's something. It's something weird. Yeah, that's very true. So good segment. <laughs> yeah, yeah, good segment. That yeah, good one. segment. Uh, so. I find that Josh Homme's voice is a real defining feature of this album. Absolutely. He's singing all the time. And not that that's a bad thing or anything, but I would like to hear something by Dave, for instance. Yeah. And there's a song coming up next where you hear him sing. But I often to, I often tend to think that I'm listening to a bit of a, like a long-lost Queens of the Stone Age album than them Crooked Vultures, yeah. which, you know, isn't the worst thing in the world. But we, we, don't have a, we don't have a point of reference of what is them Crooked Vultures, do we? No, that's true. We don't have... This is this is all we have. But if they made another one, we should see if it's still... Takes, I think they made another album, I could be more of a Foo Fighters record. That'd be interesting. So, as we said before, massive change up midway through the song. So we've got two songs that are sort of spliced together. Sometimes this can work, sometimes it doesn't. Here, it just works. Seamlessly. You could stick this second section onto any song and it would still work. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It would still work. That is true. So, I didn't think about that. wondering what we're we'll talking about, we'll... Sort of play that transition from the first section into that second section. <laughs> yep. So here you go. 
just put some Dancing Queen by ABBA and yeah, then and you have then a doom, 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 It's just such a, it's such a great part. And you were saying, as the song was playing in the studio, you were saying, there's this great bit coming up, there's this great bit coming up. Yeah. And it's when they kind of double up on that, on the guitar. Yeah, it's like a, it's almost like a polyrhythm thing. Like the yeah. guitar's doing its own rhythm. And yeah. meanwhile, Josh, the bass, or not the bass, uh, and the drums are just staying in that typical 4-4 four, four thing. Yeah. But the guitars and bass are doing something totally different. So I'll play a bit of the verse now. And also in this section, you'll get to hear some of Josh Homme's sort of like droning, haunting melodies. that typical strutty sort of thing that queens of the stone age in yeah. particular are known for but but i love that change up in the ri- that's such a led zeppelin yeah isn't it yeah and so already we're seeing different elements yeah. aren't we we're seeing i hear some early foo fighters drumming on this particularly hear, towards the end yeah yeah i hear some like even some of the stuff he did with queens of the stone age but more yeah, like yeah, that yeah. 95 record of the, um that, yeah. that dave did um just like Huge crash cymbals and china cymbals and like lots of high end, um, like sonically high end stuff, but with that locking in with that with that bass yep. that um, that John's providing. This is a There's huge, some, some good bass playing. Yeah, oh, great well. bass playing. It's, it's a great tone. Yeah, like it's it, it'd be sort of like the easy way out to have that real, you know, fuzzy distorted yeah. bass sound here. Yeah. But it's not that. It's it's almost clean. That's, yeah, that's not him. And, and, that, and that's how it stands out. It's yeah. very light and. Um, it's a really, really well, good time that only boosts that riff. He's such the musician. Like when Led Zeppelin broke up, he went and wrote symphonies for the London Symphony Orchestra. Yeah, yeah. So he's he just knows music of all different varieties, and he knows what's what's going to fit. I would love him to produce some more records because I reckon he'd be like the guy. Mm. And imagine having him in the, in the wings saying, "Oh man." We need a banjo. Who can play the banjo? Oh, yeah, John, you can play the banjo. Yeah, a mandolin or yeah. so, any other stringed instrument yeah. under the sun, really. So, or any keyboard instrument as mm. well. Um, so I'd like to get up some of the instruments he plays over this and point them out to you if, you, if you're not so familiar with yeah. some we'll see, of them. We'll see how we go, because particularly later on, because I always thought this album split into two, in a yeah. way. The first side is the... Sort of this sort of commercial. The second half gets really, really experimental at times with yep. different sounds and uh, recording techniques. Yeah. So we'll talk about that a little later. But until then, we'll move straight on to the next song, which is Mindy Racer, No Chaser. Two from two. Absolutely. Yep. This is um 
This is a great tune. It's probably the most commercial you hear the band, I, th- yeah. I think. Um, I think it's a clever take on um, uh, Thelonious Monk, who's the uh, jazz pianist, and a song called Straight No Chaser. Okay, I didn't uh, know that. So, so, you know, you go to a bar, you order a whiskey straight with no chaser, nothing in regard right. to it. And he died yep. of, of heroin and alcohol complications, <laughs> so it's probably not his best best move looking no. back. Um, <laughs> but yeah, this is um, kind of a cool little take on that, and it's obviously a very different song. Um, <laughs> I would like to think so. Yeah. Um, some cool, really cool guy lyrics from Josh. He's just a cool dude. Yeah. Um, he, he has this uncanny ability. It's like, no matter what he's singing about, you can strut to it. Yeah. Mm. No matter what. But anyway, with this song, so another great uh, opening riff in this song, particularly uh, take note of the use of effects. It's sort of like a wah yep. sort of thing. So, and so it's sort of like a unique rhythm behind it with how the drums come in. So have a, have a bit of a listen. So, second single from the album, which seems fair, hmm. considering uh, it does have that more radio vibe to it, particularly in the chorus we hear Dave singing. Yes. Great, great to hear Dave. He sounds great. Yeah, he's a great backing vocalist as well, I think. Yeah. Like, he's got he's got a kind of an iconic voice that a lead singer would have, but he's got the kind of vocal ability to be able to kind of slide in there. I agree. So, yeah, um, yeah great to hear him as well. See, I want to I want to hear more Dave on this album, more vocals. I mean, he's in backing vocals a lot, but they're more... Uh, harmonies and whatnot, and you know he's not really as pronounced mm. because Josh has that real, more distinctive vo- uh, vocal that stands out that little bit more. So I would have liked to hear a little more Dave on this album because you don't hear a lot of him from here on in. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, you got these. Yeah, as we said with the verse, uh, some you know great lyrics, some real you know tight and snappy vocals. Yes. The second part of the chorus as well, uh, which we just played as well, you know. You know, Kevin, I love my little descending riffs and chord progression- yes, progressions. This yes. has another one of those. It does. Also, um, it goes into that bridge part as well. It sounds like there's like video game sound effects. Yeah, that's um, was an obscure choice. Yeah, a bit of a weird, bit of a weird uh, turn. Well, there's a bit of weird stuff on this. There album. is a lot of weird stuff, and it's quite experimental at times. Yeah, so I'll, I'll give that a bit of a play now. See, there's sort of stuff like that. Like, is the video game sound effect sort of stuff necessary? No. Mm. It, it really isn't. The song was perfect on its own. It didn't really need any anything else, and that just sort of is a bit of a weird choice. Mm. But what's most interesting about this song, and this does sort of work with the song and the band, I suppose, yeah. is there's this brass outro. It's like a real sort of like Baroque sort of sounding... Yeah, trumpets I, and things like that. Yeah, that was. Yeah, I'm not sure if I if I, if I kind of like that. I, I like it. I I don't know. It just adds that, as you know, I'm like big on theatrics and stuff, and to me that adds a bit more. It does make it interesting. Yeah, it make it does make it interesting. I I know what you mean though. Like, does it work with the song itself? Yeah. No, it's a not. totally different section. Yeah. Uh, look, I'll I'll give you a play now so you can know what we're talking about. I like it, 
um, I, I, I really, really like it. And I like it with the song, but I don't like it with the song. Yeah. Is it, is it needed? Sometimes it, it's, it's hard it, to... It sort of goes into that video game sound effects category. Like, is it needed? Maybe not. Mm. But it sort of gets away with it Absolutely. at times because this band is quite experimental at times. And also they're a bit, you know, they can afford to be a little bit weird. Yeah. Because they're who they are. It actually reminds me of that uh, particular outro. You remember on Villains, the new Queens of the Stone Age album, there were a couple of weird outros on a yeah. few songs that sort of uh, led on to the next songs and whatnot. Like, there's one song, you know, it's a really big rock song, and then at the end of it, there was this, like, delicate violin section. Yeah. So maybe that takes a bit of influence from this. Oh, certainly. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, uh, do you have anything else to bring up? Not at all. All right, we'll move straight on to the next song. This is New Fang. Before we get into that song, Campbell, I had a bit of a look at some of the Them Crooked Vultures set lists yeah. from the tour they did. There are a few songs there that aren't on the album. So uh, there's a song called Highway One, a song called You Can't Possibly Begin to Imagine. So they pretty much did every song from the album, plus gotta, a few extra ones. we got to hunt these songs down. Yeah, I don't know if they were ever recorded or not. Then they're, they're not on the album or, or any bonus editions. They're like called Highway One. Yeah, Highway Highway One. Yeah. See if I can just do a quick Google and find it. <laughs> That's really interesting. Uh, anyway, in the meantime, New Fang, very, uh, another very accessible song, I suppose it could be said. Not my favourite. No, not my favourite either. Um, but certainly, certainly, certainly worth it. Certainly, uh, certainly there needs to be a place for it. Oh, so yeah. A song like this, at yeah, least. Yeah. So, yeah, it doesn't really add anything new, but uh, it continues a theme of like, yeah, yeah which... this is cool. I mean, you don't want to throw the real experimental stuff out really, no. really early. But we're starting to see album. a little bit. Starting to see a little bit of that stuff kind of come in, um, yeah. very slowly. Yeah, like um, here in this song, you hear some slide guitar, yeah. which sounds great. That's obviously Josh, yeah, uh, because he's a maestro when it comes to slide guitar. Yeah, um, some re- again, some real you know tight and snappy verses. Yeah, again. Yeah, that's his thing. That's his. That's his kind of his yeah. niche, I suppose. Uh, and also. Going back to uh, No One Loves Me, this song has another really heavy um, intro sort of thing that leads into that main riff. Yeah. I wouldn't actually call it a riff. I'd say it's like more of a main rhythm yeah. in a way. Uh, so I'll give that a play now. Again, I find this song's a very Queens sort of song, I, but, but but with the Zeppelin esque uh, parts here and there. And yeah, I hear a bit of Zeppelin in there as well. Yeah, um, I'm not ex- exactly sure where I hear it. It's just a bit of it, a, it's, it's just a vibe. Of, it's sort of just there. I mean, just the Marbo. Yeah, <laughs> it's the vibe. Uh, it's true. It's it's a there's something about kind of John Paul Jones being in the band. Yeah, his you, presence yeah. itself, you know has this real impact on how the album sounds, mm. even if he had nothing to do with it. No. No, he's just, he's just playing. Yeah. Can't help how it sounds. Yep. But look, I still I would still call this song a, a good song. Absolutely. So really, you've still got three good songs in a row to start the album. Yeah. 
Uh, if we don't have anything else, to this is also mention. their first single. Yeah, first single from released, the album, which is interesting, yep. and won the Grammy Award, as yeah. we mentioned before. Uh, so it did quite well for them. Hmm. Moving on now, this is called Dead and Friends. Dead End Friends. The shortest track on shorter, the... Shorter, on the um, yeah, shorter album. tune. I like it, actually. Yeah, I do. I like too. the way it kind of... It moves on from Newfang. It's getting a little bit more kind of experimental, different sounds. Um, I like the way the vocals sound. Yes. I think it's the clearest, most crisp vocal sound we've heard. Mm. Um, cool little lyrics in there as well. Yeah. Picturesque kind of stuff. Um, you know, long for the touch of my Dead End Friends. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think it's got a lot going for it. Um the thing I find with this song is that, you know, surely this was a long lost song from Songs for the Death. Yes. Queens of the Stone Age or something. Because the intro, particularly in this song, is so early Queens. Yeah, we think about it. They might, it might be, you know, like, oh, I've got this riff from years ago. Yeah. You know, let's give that a go. And yeah, it might just it, work with one band and not work with the other. Even like the tones that they've gone for in the guitars, it just suits that early Queens yeah. style so perfectly. So I'll give that a play now. Again, we've got some really interesting instrumentation. Uh, It sounds like there's some like xylophone lingering in the background or something, which adds some real like brightness and what's a a real like dark sounding song. Just look at the notes because it has what everyone plays. So could be Dave Grohl doing percussion or something. It might be, yeah. It it says Dave Grohl percussion, so it uh, it certainly could be a a xylophone or a marimba or something. It, Mm. It does sound like one of those instruments or yep. could just be something on a keyboard that yeah very true that we don't know about yeah but i thought that was quite interesting uh good bridge i good like bridge. the bridge some nice uh harmonies that are you know in place with the guitars there so i'll give that a play now Overall, a good change of pace and tone more than anything else. Yeah, so this, this song, yes. as you said, is a bit more sounds, experimental. But it sounds crisper. Yeah, it does. So they've balanced those two things really well. Mm. The thing I, I, about experimental music that always kind of bugs me is that it's, the production isn't always there um, because they think, oh, it's experimental music. It doesn't matter. Um, well, the truth is it always matters. Mm. And how you convey your sound is the most important thing that you can do. So whether it's a, you know, a punk rock, garage band or a jazz band the sound has to be a, of a good quality and i think they really do achieve that um on this and it's a it's alan moldo's is a yeah on mixing he's a he's a gun at what he does um so i certainly think that uh, that's to be to be praised yes so the first four songs have been super interesting um all different yeah very eclectic other. very uh different in how they sound 
And now we go to the to the I think it's the third I think it's the third longest song on the album at six minutes and fifty seconds. Elephants. Now this is an interesting song because it's a, a song that I had as my yeah. ringtone for many, many years. And that's kind of how I first got into the band. I heard this one song. So this is kind of my first single from the album. So I'd be uh wanting to get into it. So it. here it is, Elephants. That was Elephants. Yeah. Um, Your ringtone. My ringtone. Yeah, it's, it's just a great song. I, that's one of the better ones. It's taking more oh, of a, yeah. a um, kind of, not political, but it's a social kind of thing, talking about the ivory trade and mm. um, and all that kind of stuff, which is interesting. Not not a direction I thought this band would take, but I'm, I'm glad they did because it's um, it's quite a song. And it, it builds quite like the like the first track as yeah, well. Yeah, it's, it's a real big song. I don't think it needed to be seven minutes or near seven minutes, mm-hmm. I think. That can be cut down a little bit, but there's so many good sections in this song. First off, what a riff! Yeah, at the beginning. Yeah, it's so so starts off with that sort of half beat, sort of you know laid back sort of groove, and then really just explodes into that you know crazy you know Dave Grohl's going hundred percent, and yeah. it's just tempos increase. So I'll play that now. Real Led Zeppelin influence there. I'll give you that. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I I heard that certainly there, but I also heard a bit of Queens. I mean, we're going to talk about yeah. their influence all the time, but the fact is that that that's kind of where they come from. Um, so it's good. It's probably what people expected. So I'm glad they did this and not like a weird kind of indie pop record um, because it wouldn't have worked. Um, I hope no one heard that. It's my phone going off in the studio. How unprofessional of me. Um, yeah, I just like if just I just I couldn't quite understand the lyrics, so I just looked them up. Yeah, they're quite they really paint a picture. You know exactly what they're saying. Something about poisonous pachyderms later on. Yeah, yeah, like the whole. Uh, da, da, da. Where is it? This is live podcasting, folks. Yeah. Uh, pachyderms full of germs. Yeah. Elephants broken and screaming and oh. Yeah, and then it, yeah, and I think a great part of this song is the uh, is that bridge. It kind of hits that falsetto section. Oh, see, I don't think that really works. Really? No, I'm not a bit. Look, I I think I, it's so... I, I like where it starts. I don't like where it goes, but I like where it finishes. All right. See, I that like that sense. bit because it's so kind of rock and roll and all that kind of stuff. Mm. And then it's a bit of a, you know, just takes you off almost like a plane, you know, just like a plane just yeah. taking off. It's so, you could hear that, the grumble and the growl and it just takes off and it's complete silence. Mm. And I really so, like that. All right, idea. we'll give, we'll give that a play. Yeah. Yeah.
again, I do like where that ends up and how that transitions back into that sort of chorus riff in a way, the, you know, ascending guitar part, which they, you know, really tried to uh, make that elephant sound, you know? Yeah, it sounds as if it, there's a kind of their trumpeting. Yeah. Um, which is, when the elephants do trump, it's quite loud. So I think not only have they got the tone right, but it's quite, like, that's really quite a harsh sound you hear. Mm, but it works really, works But it works because really it's well. it what fantastic. it's trying to do, yeah. Yep. All right, next song. This is Scumbag Blues. Just before we get into that one, we were just looking at some of the personnel for this album. Uh, the person who was responsible for the artwork and graphic design, Liam Lynch. Yeah. Who directed the all the Foo Fighters clips, Queens of the Stone Age clips. Um, Tenacious D movie. Yeah, the, Tenacious the, D clips. The Tenacious D movie. I didn't know he did graphic design. Yeah, he did um, anything that like the Foo Fighters do or Queens. The Queens that he's involved in some way. Yeah. Um, he's a very clever dude. Yeah. Well, we, we saw him in the build-up videos to the Villains album. Yeah, yeah. there you go. He's he also a interviewer. Holograph yeah. interviewer guy. Uh, Scumbag Blues, again, some real Led Zeppelin influence in yeah. the main riff, so I'll play that now. So there's that, and again, another real typical Josh melody mm. in the verse. Yeah, that real falsetto, uh, strutty sort of tone that he has in his yeah. voice. I think it really works with this song. It does, doesn't it? I wouldn't mind him singing it maybe down lower octave. Yeah, right. Uh, in this, I don't think his falsetto works too uh, the best here. I don't but, think he but, cares, Jack. Oh, no, I don't. I don't think he cares what you have to say. Funnily enough, no. But saying that, I can understand why it works because. Uh, in that verse, you've got those backing vocals, which are sung in a lower register. So you've got oh, that yes. falsetto, which contrasts nicely. You need some so, kind of separation. So I, I understand the purpose of it. Yeah. There you go. Uh, more great bass in this, particularly in those lead sections. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, this is this is Joe Paul Jones. Spicy. This is his tune. Isn't it? Yeah. It's right down his thing, isn't it? Yeah, and the and clavs. He, and he also chips in with some clavinet. Oh, the clavs. How great is that? Yeah, that's uh, that's really good. Ha- that's quite the... Yeah. Have, a, have a listen to this. So that's sort of like a pre-chorus sort of thing mm. that leads into that main chorus, which is a real sort of, you know, it contrasts a lot to what we've heard so far in the song. Mm. Um, we played the chorus earlier and, you know, it's that sort of darker descending thing again, isn't it? Yeah, it's 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 funky, but somehow remains within the genre. Yeah. Which is good. The chorus is another very Queens of the Stone Age sort of thing, and and the rest is uh, a Led Zeppelin sort of influence sort of thing. So you can sort of hear those two things meshing together. Yeah. Um, yeah. So lead guitar parts for me at times are a little bit showy and unstructured. Mm-hmm. Um, um, unstructured. Sorry. Mm. 
don't really work for me too much. Okay. I, I prefer the more structured guitar parts mm. here and there. There's some good ones on this album. But here I think they're a little bit... I know that I, I'm just not a big fan. I'm not a really big fan of using octave pedals in uh, lead guitar moments. Okay. So, yeah, yeah. it's a bit of that in this song. Yeah, a bit of that. Anyway, so next song, this is Bandoilers? Bandoilers? Bandoliers? Bandoliers. All right, let's get to it. Bandoilers? Bandoilers? Tune that one. Good tune. It is, certainly. Yep. Another good one. Yeah. Um, it's, oh, it's like seven in a row. There's kind of nothing I would change so far. Yeah, I'm, um, I'm about the same. Maybe a couple of things regarding to length, and I think this song's another one that's a bit guilty of that. But Yeah, uh, I like the I like kind of the flow in between the songs, though. Like, it seems to be yeah, kind there's, of... Yeah, there's something a little bit different in each one, isn't there? Yeah. Uh, another song that wouldn't be out of place on a Queen's album. Yeah, no, uh, this is probably the, the one that I thought Thinking back, look, oh yeah, that could, that's actually sounds like a. Mm. Um, you, you, I, I, I reckon you could hear this on their latest album. Yeah, I reckon. I reckon. Yeah. So it starts with that opening riff, which has that nice sort of major ending, you know, that major chord ending. So yeah. it has that nice resolution. So I'll play that now. I think this is a song where Dave Grohl really shines. Yeah, he's a bit, uh, a little bit show-offy in this one, which I don't mind, actually. Um, some, some <laughs> real... He's been pretty laid back so far, I suppose, if you could say. That's well, the way, yeah. way, right way to put it. I suppose. Um, I don't mind that he's given a bit of time to show off here, especially you know, considering someone like Josh is at the forefront for the most of the album, really. So you've got this bridge section. Uh, which, in my opinion, is the part that can you can easily shave about 30 seconds off, right. in my opinion. Yeah. But there's um, some really, really good drumming in that, so I'll play that now. So the, that final part there, you've got that really cool quiet section, mm. uh, the guitar playing on its own and Josh uh, singing a little bit. Then it goes back into that main riff, which is a really strong main riff as we played before. Yeah, I think they have quite a few songs on this where it's very riff orientated. Mm. Um, but they don't necessarily rely on them. No, but the, the song kind of always seems to start from the riff yeah. and then work out into other things, which is an interesting way to do it. It's almost a bit of a throwback to Led Zeppelin in kind of how they did it. They kind of would, mm. would bring out, you know, jam out songs, I suppose. But we, we spoke about before how, you know, they they'd do a two-hour show. And you can imagine some of these ideas being developed yeah. even further. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, um, what else have I got here? Yeah, no, as I said before, another song that goes a bit too long, maybe a bit of audio slave syndrome. 
A little bit, yeah. Uh, you know, just because you have a good idea doesn't mean you should repeat it as... Yeah, what does it go for? It goes be. for 5.42. Yeah, so nearly, yeah, nearly six minutes. You could take a minute off that. Yeah, so... I think. Again, just because you have a good idea doesn't mean you should repeat it too often. Yeah, um, I think... Un- un- unless it's this podcast. Yes. I think it's the... Uh, the uh, That kind of throws back to the whole self-production yeah. method. Um, a bit of, bit of trimming here and there. Yeah, just go, yeah, maybe boys, we don't need that extra bit there. Mm. And they go, oh, yeah, you're right, we don't. But I think when you're... When the when the mics go on and the and the track starts, you just feel it until you think it's over. Yeah, um, it still sounds very live. Um, it does, doesn't it? It Sounds yeah. like you know the bass and the drums are done live, and maybe a bit of overdubbing, but it sounds pretty live to me. So, yeah, I I love this song actually. This is not one not one I would actually put on all that much. I don't think. Like I, I tend to. No, it's I, a, it's a bit of an underrated tune. Yeah, I put on your elephant scumbag blues, new fang. No one loves me. All that kind of stuff, but. Um, well, we're getting to that point of the album that, you know, for those listening, you know, probably isn't as well known as the first half. No. Because uh, songs yeah. like Elephant, Mind Eraser, No Chase, those were the songs that everyone was hearing back when this album was released. Now we're getting to the second half of the album where, you know, you've got these little gems, yeah. so to speak, that are that little bit more experimental and have a few more bits and pieces. Some of them work, some of them don't, yeah. as we'll get to later, but... Yeah. Yeah, so you've got some nice nice songs around here. Speaking of nice songs, I, I don't mind this song. This is a song called Reptiles. Reptiles. First real uh, jump into some real crazy stuff. Yeah, I mean, the guitar is kind of all over the place. I think it works sometimes. Yeah, sometimes. So I'm going to play the intro, and I'd almost describe this as like psychedelic alternative country music. Yeah. This intro. Have, have a listen to this. Yeah, look, I'm sorry. The slide guitar for me is just a bit too wacky it's, there. Yeah, it's a bit much. I mean, I, I think the ideas are there. Yeah, I, I don't mind it. I just, it could have been better, you know, done a little bit better. Yeah. I really like the chorus to this song. Some really good melodies there. I, I reckon that should have been given a little more time to shine. Yeah, highly. I mean, they're a highly melodic band. I'm surprised that... Well, Josh Homme is a highly melodic guy and yeah. Dave Grohl's highly melodic. Well, they're all they're very all melodic, melodic in dudes. what they do. So yeah. it's funny that some of this stuff is melodic. Um. When you think about but it, but it certainly is a it's the Josh Holmes show, I think. Yeah, which is always a shame. Yeah, well, again, I I often feel like this is more of a Queens of the Stone Age album more than anything else. Yeah, and I think it's yeah, it's a bit too much of the Josh Holmes show. Yeah, where um I, again, I'd love to hear Dave sing a couple of songs, mm. or you know, provide some more backup to songs, or even I know. Does John Paul, John Paul Jones, does he sing? He does some backy vocals. Oh, yeah, get, get him on lead vocals. Why oh. not? I'm not <laughs> quite sure how he sounds, but yeah, some really weird sections in the song. I often feel that there's a couple of, again, a couple of different songs in here, but uh, 
you know, meshed together, they don't really work. Mm. But for me, the chorus is fantastic, and that's what really saves the song and makes the, listening to the rest of it, you know, okay. Yeah, I mean, it's it's bad parts are, are, are rescued, I think, by the, the better parts. I mean, that's a, what, a four minutes, 16. Yeah. So that's kind of on the quicker. Mm. Oh, yeah, about par. Um, a couple of, you know, New Fang and Dead End Friends around the kind of the three, yeah. three and a half minute mark. Yeah. Um, I, don't, I don't mind the change up this song provides though with its uh, psychedelic alternative country yeah, beats feel. Yeah, I mean the, the next couple of songs are a bit weird so uh, this yeah. is kind of that second side of the album where it's getting a bit kind of creative and, and interesting but um, A bit of inspiration perhaps uh, in the studio. Yeah, certainly um, <laughs> I mean probably not though I don't think Yeah, or maybe Josh I know Josh was probably like pretty still into stuff around that time because I don't think Dave's touched it for a long time he hasn't really done anything no for a while you, you were reading that John Paul Jones was uh, quite the uh, user back oh, in the yeah, day oh yeah but secretly quietly he said yeah it, said, it actually said he was quiet about yeah, it yeah I kept it myself um, which you know when you're around guys like Jimmy Page and Robert Plant and John Bonham you can't they can't all be like that because mm. the thing would fall apart <laughs> but no I'm not sure if they were on drugs I, I just think it's just the kind of wackiness of of Josh's ideas. I mean, you're right, Josh could be, you know... I, I, I'm I, pretty sure he was, because I, I was seeing a few interviews of them Crooked Vultures. I'm sure that, you know, he was on something. It's always fun knowing that Josh is on something you don't know, quite know what. Yeah, yeah, I want whatever he's having. Yeah. It's, he's, he looks like he always has a very good time. Um, but, yeah, speaking of drugs... Oh, um, Lord. Interlude with Ludes. <laughs> of course, Ludes being the... Uh, uh, kind of, it's sort of like a pill method. Yeah, kind of made famous in recent times by um, Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah, you know, that true. scene when he's Good kind film. of crawling to the car. He was yes. on Ludes then, so it's a bit of a, a bit of a suppressant, a bit of a body suppressant. Um, so Interlude with Ludes is, right, yep. is number nine, and let's give it a whirl. Um, oh lord! What a weird tune. Yeah, I mean, I, we only heard, we only listened to about fifty seconds of it, but it's it's yeah. Oh, yeah before I just said enough. Yeah, it's um, that's a weird one. I'm not sure if it's if it's needed or necessary. I mean, no, I like I like for, weird tunes. For, I, for me, this is the first real misstep okay. in the album. But that's okay when you're nine songs in. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty you know, good. Yeah, um, I mean. Eight songs that they didn't do too much wrong. This is the first song that nothing really. I I nothing. I didn't really enjoy anything. Mm. I didn't mind the first little bit, like that first little doom, doom, like little groove. But that would been cool at the end of a song for like you know ten seconds or so. Mm. Um, not not a, not a, almost a four minute song, but uh, yeah, there's not really much to say about that. It's just yeah, very, it, very strange song. I was like listening to that chorus. There's parts of it, like. Some, some of the chord changes I could hear it being made into like a jazz standard yeah there's certainly some if you li- really have a listen to some of those chord changes and the melodies and yeah that. yeah for sure actually there's it's just I think it's there are so many effects and stuff over the top of it that it's hard to hear the actual <laughs> music um, yeah but uh, yeah I mean interlude with ludes cool mm. the next is the next one's a bit of a mouthful yeah. Warsaw of the first breath you take after you give up. Feel like a town, a town, a town, a town, a town. 
uh, Warsaw and uh, all that other stuff. <laughs> Good song. Yeah, for the, for the most part. Yeah, right. Cut the song at about four minutes. Right. Yeah, that's Be- not, because that's not rock and roll, man. They uh, want to play the long one. I mean, that's, they need. It, it's indulgent, and I don't. I didn't find it particularly interesting. Yeah, they've got well, spinning uh, daffodils at the end. That's pretty long as well. well so I suppose you can have kind of. If they have one song over. Kind of seven minutes, but two maybe we'll be pushing it. Yeah, but anyway, so what I'm talking about is, so I, I'm saying cut the song when it's gone for about four minutes, let it fade out, do whatever, come up with an ending, because for the remainder of the song, it's this really psychedelic, proggy uh, nonsense, really. Mm. I just didn't really find much in it. Maybe on a, on, a, on a different day, in a different mood, you might like it. Maybe that's what they were thinking. Yeah, it's It's a different kind of... It's different. It's certainly that oh, yeah. that long jammy bit is yeah. certainly different. I, uh, um, but yeah, I, I think that's something that would be better for a live environment rather than putting well, it on it. a CD. Well, that's it. But you know, they have to. And I'd be fine with that. But here on a CD, when you're ten songs in, you know, an eight, nearly an eight-minute song with a you know four-minute jam section mm. to the end, that's not exactly what I'm looking for. Yeah, I get um, that. But look, I think the first four minutes are great. It opens with this real beastly riff which I think something uh, almost throws back to that riff in No One Loves Me yeah yeah so I'll play that now The other real perfect part of this song, again, the verses with some of those Josh Hom melodies. Yeah. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah, even, so in a, even in a real heavy song, you can seem to manage to give this kind of lightness yeah. to it, which is quite impressive. Yes, yeah, almost wacky in a way. Yeah. I hear a lot of Light Clockwork, the Queens of the Stone Age album, in the chorus. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of influence there, particularly with the real high... Uh, falsetto sort of things. I think there was a song off like Clockwork that sort of has that similar vibe to it. I can't well, they weren't too far away from each other, really. No, a couple, yeah, a few years, I think, yeah. 2009 to 2013, so what, four, four years. years. So maybe it's a bit of a practice mm. for like Clockwork. Yeah. And uh, any uh, idea on what the song title means? Warsaw or the first breath you take after you give up? Any idea what that well, actually Warsaw's means? Warsaw's in Poland. Yeah. Uh, what was a big place that was a big uh, was where they were Germany invaded. They invaded Warsaw. Um, but apart from that, I don't really know. Um, just weird stuff. Just Poland, I mm. suppose. Yeah, but look, overall, certainly a keeper. Hmm. But hmm. yeah, just cut it. Yeah, just cut it a bit, please. Uh, moving on to the next song, Campbell. Can you? Pronounce what this means, Caligulov. Just gotta say whatever comfortably. Caligulov. Yeah, let's go with that.
Yeah, that's one of the, that's a cool song to kind of have at the end as well, because generally you, the kind of songs kind of get worse sometimes um, towards the end of the album. But that was quite a good one. I tend to disagree. Really? Yeah. It it's not bad, but to me it just sort of you know like does, doesn't quite live up to. I, I like the little you know it's quite a hooky little mm. chorus melody as we just played. Yeah. I don't need, yeah, it's quite catchy. You know, it's and a, the riffs was nice. Oh look, I'll, 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 I'll give it the opening riff. Here we go. It's a cool bit of a Doors style keyboard solo yep. that follows after that. Um, I know as a whole, it just didn't really click for me. Right there, you go. Yeah, sometimes it doesn't happen. No, sometimes it, just, it does. It just doesn't happen. Um, but yeah, no, I liked it. I thought it was really cool. Um, yes, all those things I said. I suppose <laughs> all those things. I just like it. I just think it's. No, no, I, it's I, um, I, I accept your decision. I think it moves a lot. Like a lot of these, a lot of these tunes are kind of like kind of. In the pocket, and that's good. But this is kind of groovy. Mm. Um, yeah, no, I like this. Probably this is one of my better songs. Sorry. There okay. you go. It does have that real big sounding bridge. Yeah. And it's, I think it's a JPJ over there with some mandolin in the background. Put that at the forefront. I want to hear more of that. Yeah, right. You know, it's buried behind Josh Homme's, you know, guitars and Dave's big drums. It's just sort of tucked away there. I want to hear that at the front. Yeah, maybe he's you know, just doing its job at the back there, you know. Well, here's a bit of a taste of that bridge. I will say, though, it does sound massive. It whole, does. That whole bridge. Yeah. It, it sounds good, but yeah. Yeah, just as a whole, not my not my favourite tune. Mm, there you go. Uh, oh yeah, it had a bit of a weird ending thing as well. Uh, yeah, but they were kind of laughing about it. So yeah, it sounds them. like they were just like improvising a little bit at the end, and yeah. they just thought, "I oh, will just chuck that at the end." I won't. I don't think I'll bother playing that because it's not really anything of note. But uh, with that, we'll move on to the second last song. So this is Gunman. Uh, Gunman. I like Gunman. Yeah, Gunman's good, but Gunman goes a little bit too long. Gunman does go a little bit long. And Gunman should be ashamed. Gunman should be that. very ashamed. Uh, Gunman could, could probably, could be a great, like, three-minute full bore rock song. Yeah. Like, and, a, like, take a minute 45 off this song. And the thing is, Gunman has a great intro and main riff. It has a real funk element to it. Yeah. Yeah, so, Gunman doesn't need to be longer than Gunman already is. No. So, what I'll do is I'll play the opening part to Gunman, so yeah. Gunman can show you how good it is. Here we go. Gunman also has quite a haunting chorus as well. It has that, you know, real... Well, Gunman's quite scary. Macabre yeah. sort of chorus. In there. That's sort of synonymous with some of the Queens of the Stone Age stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I don't have too much else to say about Gunman, though. 
Come in, does his job, doesn't he? He does his job. Um, he's <laughs> quite. Um, he's quite. Uh, I, I couldn't hold it. Okay, uh, yeah. Uh, no, come in. I don't know why we did that. Um, yeah. No, I think it's cool. I think it's cool. Um, I certainly think you're right about that intro. The drums are playing a huge part. Yeah. In this song, um, wouldn't really be the same without the drums. I no. don't think. I think the drums play such a pivotal role, um, and I think it really works. It blends really well into the next track as well. Yeah. But, yeah. And just more than anything with uh, Gunman, mm. uh, I just love the sound more than anything. Just the way everything sounds, you know? Yeah. It just blends together. Really Gunman well. has a nice sound. Gunman has a nice sound. Yeah. So we're up to the last track now. So this is Spinning in Daffodils. Oh, you like that song? Spinning in, spinning in daffodils, yeah. you like it? Yeah. Don't really find much in that one. No. It's not yeah. much that... I don't know, it's just nothing really new, and I just... Uh, for a closer, I, I was hoping for something a little bit more epic, you know? Mm. I don't really find this... But it's had so much epic on the album. Surely there can be a limit. Well, I, I, yeah, I get you. I get you. But just, nah... Fair enough. No. Yeah. It has a lovely piano intro, though. Yeah, right. Continue on with that. Make it a bit more of a piano bass. Yeah, I don't like that little thing they put in with the piano. They made it really, like... The sort of, like... That na- noise. Yeah, the noise. Yeah, I don't like leave, the noise. Leave, leave it up with the piano. But I do like the riff it goes into. Yes. The guitar. So I'll play that whole intro part now. Yeah, but look, overall, bit of a meh closer, in my opinion. It could have been better, but I didn't mind it. Yeah, yeah, I get you. I get you. Yeah. Um, Anyway, so that is the album. We have done the album as per usual. We've wrapped up Supergroup September, man. There you go. Isn't that crazy? Mm. So now, firstly, before we go into anything, favourite song? I like No One Loves Me, neither do I. Yep. That's just been my favourite ever. Yeah, I, I might go for that as well. And if you had any songs you could take off the album, what would they be? Oh, I wrote them down. Oh, you wrote them down. They might, uh, they might surprise you. Yep, that's okay. Interlude with Ludes. That doesn't surprise me. I'll take it out. And the Warsaw, blah 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 song. Yeah, okay. I just removed that, it completely. That's fine. But that's yep. it. I take off uh, Interlude with Ludes. I wasn't a big fan of uh, what was that song called? Caligulove, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And. I take off daffodils. Oh, so what would you, fi- what would you finish with? Oh, 
I, I reckon I could justify ending with Warsaw. Oh, yeah. I think that would work. I, I'd even what leave... What Gunman? Nah. Didn't or maybe, I don't Gunman know. Gunman could close. Could be, all right, we'll leave it with Gunman for all now. Right. Yeah, so anyway, that wraps up Supergroup September. Hard to believe we're already through it. True. Yeah. 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 It's and been, a, it's been a, a quick four weeks. Yeah, so just before we move on to anything else... Uh, Campbell, you're going away. I'll be away. You'll be away for a couple of weeks. In fact, by the time this is released, because we're re- pre-recording this a little bit in advance, yeah, uh, you'll be in... When will you be releasing it? Sunday, Saturday, Sunday week? I'll be in uh, Tonga. Tonga. In Tonga. Sitting on a beach, drinking a beer, I think. That sounds lovely. Taking, taking some time off. It's so, been, uh, been a busy year. Uh, it'll it continue been. to be a busy year. It's flown by already in September. Yeah. Um, so I've got to find a, a a pub in Tonga to watch the grand final. Yeah, go you're Tigers! Not, you're not here for the grand final. Well, yeah, go Tigers! We don't. That's a thing. But at the time of recording this, Richmond are still lined up in the preliminary final against uh, against the Giants, and we don't know what's happened. We'll see what see what goes on. We don't but, know what's uh, yet. Yeah. Yeah. So who knows? But yeah, you'll true. be on your own for a couple of weeks, but I'll be back, and we'll talk about what, what we're going to do. We're going to do something big, I think. Yeah, gonna something do, big towards uh, the end, end of the year. Uh, but anyway, we'll just wrap up Supergroup September with a bit of a general discussion. You just brought up an article or a review for them, Crooked Vultures, and the first line was quite funny, and it was, Supergroups are traditionally awful. Yeah. And I can get that. Yeah. That sort of weight of expectation that a lot of Supergroups fall into. I mean, you have something like Crosby, Stills and Nash. We'll go through every album we've done. Cro- Crosby, Stills and Nash probably... Uh, reached those expectations the most. Yes. Mainly because supergroups were a new thing back then. No one really knew what a supergroup was supposed to be. Yeah, it's it's hard to stuff up something you don't actually know. Yeah, so they released their first album, and it's great. It was a great album. Really fun album to talk about. Definitely. Moving on 20 or so years later, and at this point, the supergroup has died off. Mm. You know, there aren't many real, any real mainstream examples, I suppose, because... You know, there's again, there's that weight of expectation that every group and you know anticipates and is that little bit scared of, I suppose. Yeah, and in that article, it also went on to say that it's generally the lower tier um, musicians that aren't that aren't the great songwriters. Yeah, I sort of, I like, I guess uh, you could look at the Traveling Wilburys. Hmm. I mean, that's sort of a complete contrast to all of that. Well, yeah, well, yeah that's the ultimate kind of. In really theory, five, five of the greatest songwriters of all time. Yeah, in theory, it's the, it's the you know, the best you can do. Mm. But we looked at it. Oh, someone's a bit tired. Pardon me. We looked at it, um, and we saw it didn't it didn't work completely. It didn't wow us, did it? It wasn't. It wasn't amazing. Really good songs, but but you'd expect that. But you know, I think we expected it to be a little bit better. Yeah. Um. So, you know, what do we take from? from this experience looking at, at supergroups. Well, let's go through the last two. So Audio Slave. Audio Slave was a was a concoction of really good ideas and some really bad Just ideas. Poorly executed. Poorly executed, really. poorly produced. It was some great some great songs in there. Don't get me wrong. Oh, some yeah. great songs. But it just didn't work in the context. I'm not sure if that was the musicians well, in the room I, or if it was the idea. I was almost at a point last week where I was questioning its existence in yeah. the music world. Yeah, why are we, you know, why are we listening mm. to this? Why is this in the same kind of sphere as the other songs? And you know, and you don't know really, but they exist because they decide to, not because there's a demand for them. 
Well, no one really demands a supergroup. Yeah, and ego is another thing that we haven't really touched on. Oh, it plays a huge part. Yeah, I mean, why would you include, you know, 14 tracks? I'm talking about Audio Slave here. 14 tracks, all of them sound very similar, and they all go for five minutes. Yeah. I mean... Because they can. Yeah, because they can. And, you know, oh, no one's going to tell us what to do. Rick Rubin won't tell us what to do. Yeah. And that was one I was probably most, most surprised by. Perhaps he was a little bit out of his depth because of the the people he was working with at the time. But, you know, that, I don't think it's really much of an excuse. Even with this album, we saw a couple of bits where it was like, you know, that's so, that song's so long. Why is it so long? Yeah. You know, just because it can be and they choose it to be. So, And I'm, and I'm sure there was plenty of ego with this album as well. Oh, but definitely. Mm. Maybe not as unbridled as kind of some of the other ones, <laughs> but there was yeah. certainly some elements where you go, well, someone just told them that's a really shit idea. Yeah. And perhaps it wouldn't it wouldn't kind of eventuate to the point where it did. Yes. So in regards to what we take from this whole experience, supergroups are it's almost a curse, isn't it, when you go and call yourself a supergroup. Yeah. You'd almost be better just starting off a new band with random people. But people are gonna call you supergroups anyway, aren't they? I don't I don't know. I like, think if if, if 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 you're Dave Grohl and you started a new band with Three up-and-coming musicians who, you know, have barely experienced success yet. They'd still be called a supergroup. No. If they're already from other bands, it'd be called a supergroup. Well, I, I guess you can look at it at different scales. You can look at it, like, from a pub scale. If you had pub musician number one from one band, pub musician number two from second band, from another one from a third band, they came together. Locals might consider that a supergroup. But what if two of those musicians teamed up with Dave Grohl? Like two different, two completely yeah, different. Yeah, no, that scales. wouldn't be a supergroup. Yeah, but I'm not. But like, I like think... what, what if that happened and Dave Grohl started that band? You know, you wouldn't have that weight of expectation behind like that, it as you would. The a Jeff Axelson's blues band and yeah. like yeah, all those kind of guys that have Gary Eastwood, those kind of dudes. <laughs> well, that's the thing. You know, it's it's a curse. That's a good way of thinking about it. But it can be executed really, really well, as we've seen. I think, what was your favourite supergroup album we looked at overall? Crosby, Stills, and Nash. Yeah, I reckon me too. I think it was just there was almost a new band that had formed. Yes. Um, I think it got. I think it, uh, what was the worst one? Audio Slave. Yeah, without yeah. a doubt. Yeah. Uh, like Audio Slave Which seems I've, tough because it was kind of good yeah, in a lot of areas. Yeah. I mean, Audio Slave, I think, had some really, really good moments. Good moments that eclipse probably the Traveling Wilburys album in a way. Yeah, but there were too many lows on that album, and that's why that gets the. Yeah, the Charlie Wilburys is probably second last, and then this album, them Crooked Vultures, comes up on second. Yeah, so there's a little ranking for yeah. you all at home. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So we've got to start thinking about our next C month now. We had a few ideas. Well, what is there really? What well, else can we look at? Well, it just we, I think we we fall into this trap of of making it kind of. Not rhyme, but same, same yeah, metal may uh, alliteration. Yeah, it's um, metal may September supergroup September. So perhaps if the fans will let us just disco December, disco December. Here we, here we go. <laughs> Maybe not disco December. We could look at some BGS records. Oh, yeah, God, I, no. I mean it's um, January jazz Feb. We'll work it out. Funky we, Feb. We, we had a few ideas that we've talked about, but uh, we'll see how we go. Funky Feb. Okay. <laughs> I like that. Anyway, so that's Supergroup September. We're now going to move on to our closing segment now, the now world-famous, Campbell, <laughs> uh, segment where we look at the TV show Supergroup. 
I'm Theodore Anthony Nugent. My name is Jason Bonham. I'm Evan Seinfeld, lead singer, bass player of Biohazard. I'm Scott Ian, and I play a rhythm guitar in a band called Anthrax. My name is Sebastian Bach. I am the original singer for Skid Row. Yeah, I'm whipping out. I got me a rock and roll band. It's a so today we will be looking at episode three. There were no real titles that were given out with these episodes. I would have loved if every episode had a, a title. Mm. So maybe, maybe that's something we can do next week. We can come up with like our own little title for it. Yeah, I reckon that's not a bad idea. Um, but I, I don't think it wants to give too much away. It doesn't have to give too much away. Yeah, Just a sort of vague thing about what happens in the episode. Like something in this one, I don't know. Very vague, but you know, Sebastian the Diva or something like that. Well, that would be most episodes, wouldn't it? That's true. That would be most episodes. Mm. But anyway, so just a bit of a recap of what happened in episode two. So Jason had to leave the band for a couple of days to tour with Foreigner. Yep. Uh, and while he was away, the band, now called Fist, mm. <laughs> recorded their first demo. Yes. Take, take it back. Very, um, a very excited band. They, they Sebastian and excited, Evan were very yeah. excited. With yeah, the, they were very excited about the lyrics they were writing. How Real cutting we? edge of uh, music right there. So they show their, their good mate, Doc. Yeah, well, uh, so firstly, yeah, they record their first demo and Jason comes home, finds the CD on his bed, sees the name Fist on and he's just like, I hope we're not called Fist. Anyway, so episode three, let's start. So first off, I brought this up last week. There's another Def Leppard song in the intro. Yeah, sir. Yeah. Yeah, that's five different Def Leppard songs I've counted in this whole series so far. There you go. I thought that was just some random like like band they brought in just to like do the songs. There you go. <laughs> That'd be Def Leppard. That shows you how yeah. how highly I rate Def Leppard's music. Uh, no one makes fun of my boys. <laughs> boys. Anyway, so sort of reminiscent of the last episode, Ted wakes everyone up with a really loud guitar shriek. Like he like he places his amp. I think he had a bit of help with Scott. Uh, places his amp right outside Evans. Uh, bedroom door. Yeah. Scott opens the door and Ted just lets wail. That would get that would get annoying very quickly. Uh, you'd imagine so, yeah. yeah. I give Ted a lot of respect because he's my elder, but I, I, Ted needs to learn a lot of respect. Anyway, so Doc comes around and the band show him take it back for the first time. After listening to what they came up with, I personally didn't feel that it was where it should be. I wanted to see something that was totally different than what everybody would expect it to be, and uh, so far it hasn't. You want that? He then reveals these thoughts to the band, and, you know, just saying that it's a little dated, it would have been a good song if it was 1983, Yeah, I think that's what he says there, and... Sort of at this point, Sebastian opens up about you know his past with Doc, because Doc uh, helped him. It's been in his Road days. Yeah, it's certainly certainly has. Yeah, the way they you know describe each other, it's sort of like strikes me that Sebastian is very careless about his approach to money at some points. Right. Yeah. So anyway, that we that's elaborated on a little bit later. They have a real you know bromance, heart to heart talk. Yeah. So PR arrive, but uh, not before Sebastian has to have his shower and push-ups. Yeah, very, push-ups. Um, he's very determined to keep his physique. He's actually not in too bad shape, yeah, I must he, say. Yeah, he keeps himself in uh, good shape, but he's like a little too OCD about the whole... He's like, I need to go for my run. Yeah. I need to do my push-ups. I need to have my shower. Um, my shower. And, and there's a great training montage with the final countdown 
uh, of him like doing sit-ups and stuff that with the final countdown playing over the top. So PR introduced the band to some graphic artists, mm. and it's you know time to come up with a logo. And the band provide them with a little bit of inspiration that doesn't go down too well. We met up with some graphic artists today and talked to them about ideas for a logo for FIST. That hand on the front, just after, after just punching the crap out of something that's kind of bloody, and it just says fist. Also, his thing about the eagle claw, gotta see that. That is killer. Two of his fingers are talons. Well, maybe you end up with something that's that's more like the Teamsters or something like that, like where you have the ribbon, you have a okay. shield. Definitely. And if you want imagery, you can have stuff, like that, stuff that we Hello. care about. You know, you could have like, on the one actually like two guitars crossed. Oh yeah, or, you know, and you could have on this side like a coffee cup. It's really hard to say, oh, by the way, that idea sucks. Like a coffee cup with, with cross guitars is, you know, that's this. All of a sudden there's the talk about Ross Halfen. Now he's a very famous rock photographer. He's taken photos about you know, every great rock band out there. Yeah. He's notorious for being a bit of a dick. Yeah. So... Which is fitting for the show. Well, I feel like the producers did everything in their power to create tension. Yeah. Like, they, they get Doc McGee, who Sebastian's had past experiences with. Yeah. They'll get Ross, who is just a real, you know... Dick. <laughs> yeah, dick, exactly. <laughs> so, before the photos, Sebastian insists again that he needs to go for his run. And Jason provides some great comments on this. Sebastian... Don't do it. Just, just sing. He doesn't have to be all the time Sebastian Bach. So there you go, Jason contributing a little bit to the class. Yeah, he can speak. He can speak. There you go. And he speaks a little bit later on. There's a bit of an awful twist in the tale that happens a little bit later, so stay tuned. Sebastian goes absolutely off at a J from PR and says that, you know, if he doesn't go running, you know, they can just go get another singer, which is sort of a bit of an extreme. Yeah. You know, him trying to get right. his way. Lead singers, man. You know, you know what they do. They're, they're extreme individuals. Yeah. It's all about, it's always the lead singer, isn't it? It that is. That real, as, I, although I suppose you have to have that personality to pull off that real front man persona. Well, maybe not though. Like you can be still nice to people, mm. I suppose. Like you can still be a bit of a, bit of a diva, but yeah. And still, when it comes down to people like trying to help you, that's what I didn't like about this show. It's because like people actually trying to actually help. Oh yeah, like they're not they're not trying to cause trouble. Um, you know, you hear stories about you know guys going off at people because oh, this wasn't yeah. there, and but, but that's okay. But like, I feel like it's almost like accepted <clears throat> now that lead singers can be dicks, which I don't really get. But mm. Sebastian Bach's very good at it. He's very good at playing that character, yeah. isn't he? Yeah. So uh, it's funny in this scene. Um, actually, I'll play a little bit of it now of him just going off at Jay from PR. I gotta be in shape. What the f keep yelling at? Because him. I have to argue with you guys you to do argue. my job. You're starting an argument. This is my job. We can do our no job. one's arguing. Yeah, I, uh, Sebastian, one. You know what? If you said I need forty minutes, I did. I've been pleading. Stop yelling at me. Stop yelling at me. Get out of my room. Please stop yelling at me. Get the f out of my room. All right? Don't tell me what the do. Go manage the They're still selling records. <laughs> in this decade. Lovely touch, the dramatic music that's playing in the background. It's just a lovely touch to the scene by the editors there. Uh, so the band aren't too pleased with Sebastian's actions at this point, and Sebastian ends up going running anyway. Uh, with a singlet that quite uh, ironically says, no crybabies allowed. Yeah. Did you notice yeah, that? Yeah, I noticed that. I'm like, is that... Like, it must be... That must be set up. Or That or... Sebastian's just completely clueless. Well, both are very possible. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Um, 
I've seen a couple of interviews with Sebastian, and he actually strikes me as a very down-to-earth individual at times. Yeah, like he had that. I'm not sure which which episode this is, but at some point during this series, there's a, a radio interview. See, that's sort of teased at the end of this episode. It might be next episode. Okay, so it's at, so there there is a. I'll just break it now. There is a, a radio episode, and he's really good at it. Mm. Like he has he has really great kind of banter with other people, yeah. and he seems really down to earth. Down to earth is a really good way of describing it. Yeah. So I, I wonder if this is kind of a little bit contrived. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm certainly starting to think that now because recently I watched this uh, thing on YouTube that was quite recent. It's Sebastian essentially, um, I think it's this segment, I don't remember the YouTube channel or whatever, it's called What's In My Bag? And okay. it's Sebastian, all these famous rock stars and stuff, going into a record store and picking out their favourite albums that they, you know, oh, they cool. want to buy. And he's he's a massive rock and roll fan. Yeah, right. Like he loves he loves his music. He's got like a massive collection. He's a, he's a real buff on it, you know. Yeah. He, he loves his Kiss. Yeah. He loves his Kiss. Great. Um, Great and, he, band. and he and he picks out like a real eclectic mix of music. Yeah. yeah right. And he, you know, picks out a few books he likes to read and yeah. so he strikes me as you know, he does strike me as quite a intellectual person. Be, yeah. But for whatever reason on this show in particular, the producers have been like, can you just be an absolute asshole? Yeah, and well, maybe that's what he's like behind closed doors yeah. when the cameras aren't rolling, yeah. which, you know, is this, what this show is trying to capture. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. So anyway, Sebastian returns from his run and now they're going through some uh, clothes with the new fashion uh, designers or whatever, which uh, Ted takes quite a liking to. Yes. Uh, just so everyone knows, these are two openly gay individuals, yeah. these two fashion designers. And Ted's like, oh, I found them adorable. Yeah, yeah. And I'm just thinking, like, the most traditional American person you can find. I found that really and, weird. And he's like, these guys are great. And he's like, really, I wouldn't say accepting to their ideas, but he's like, oh, yeah, I'll give that a try. Yeah, he seems to, really, he kind of seems to kind of be coming out of his closet. A little yeah. bit, not in <laughs> the, that, not in that. Nice play on. Yeah, there, not yeah. in that, in, not in that particular way. Um, but coming out of his closet in the point of like you know, coming out of his cocoon yeah, rather. Ted wasn't too bad in this episode. No. Although a little bit later he says a few things which are quite funny. Uh, anyway, Sebastian uh, comes out wearing this jumpsuit. Sebastian in that jumpsuit makes the village people look straight. Let's put it that way. I have no idea why he was so into that jumpsuit. Can we go a little more, man? It's embarrassing. It's embarrassing for me. Okay, so I guess I'm getting this off. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a, that's a no. Ben doesn't like it. I don't like it either. No, I don't like it either. <laughs> and it's, I mean, we can only say so much on the podcast about what it looks like, but it just, I mean, come on. I mean, and it, there's another thing as well, like they're trying to put a, superhero cape onto Scott. They're trying to give an American jacket to Jason and Jason's just like, no, I'm English. I'm at, but I'm English. <laughs> uh, so the band arrive on location for the photo shoot. They meet Ross, the photographer. He sort of goes for a real gang in the alleyway style of photo. It's like, we're a gang. We're going to mess you up. Yeah. Like it's, it's that sort of typical torn posters in the background. It's a real dusty sort of yeah. setting. They're in front of a truck for one for some reason. When I think about like these these guys that take these photos. Like how creative can you be? I know, yeah. Like it's all kind of been done before. Mm. So it's a tough job. But I, I love when he argues with the band. You put Ross and Sebastian in the same environment and it's just going to go bang. So here's a sample of that. You're semi-professional at what you do. If I was photographing somebody, I'd want them to feel good and happy and, and positive. He does not do that for me. Gentlemen. All the way. 
You don't have the body for it. What do you mean? You don't have. You're not what you were. I think Ross Halpin just likes to get other people's skin, and that's his Napoleon complex. So it's at this point, uh, I think it's, again, Jay from PR, he's just like, you know, clearly the band aren't taking this seriously. Therefore, how can anyone else take it seriously? Yes. So meanwhile, uh, Sebastian, uh, we, go, we go back into a bit of Sebastian's past with Doc here. And Sebastian's dramatically so. Yeah, Sebastian is really heartened by the efforts of Evan when it comes to his past with Doc. You know, Evan's really accepting about you know he's like you're okay, man. It's it's all Doc. You know, he he's the one who screwed you over because Skid Row originated from like Bon Jovi, something like that. It was like a project that John Bon Jovi put together to open for Bon Jovi. Yeah, and Doc was behind that as well. Anyway, so after about twenty minutes, the band finally starts jamming. Twenty minutes of the episode that is. And here's a great Ted moment. Ted starts talking up his song Stranglehold a bit. You know that sacred piece of music I call Stranglehold? When we finished it, the producer said, quote, with a little bit of editing, it'll be great. And I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. He goes, well, you went on and on. I went, yeah. yeah. You would edit the, you would edit some of those miraculous notes I play? I said, I dare you. More than anything, he's sort of like using it as a metaphor for the band. Mm. Like, he was saying, like, the song was already perfect. Like, oh, my God, those guitar leads as I just played there. Um, it's like, you don't need to improve it anymore. Like, he was talking about how the producers wanted to edit out his, like, four-minute guitar solo. I've heard it. I don't think it's Anthony Flash. I like it. Yeah, yeah of course I, you do. I like it. Yeah. Of course you like it. Um, anyway, so <laughs> they then jam his other song, Catch Scratch Fever. Ted isn't too pleased with Sebastian's enthusiasm with singing the song. He expresses quite clearly how he loves Cat Scratch Fever and Free For All and Stranglehold. And as we were jamming on those songs last night, his enthusiasm became such a firestorm of excitement that he squalored the vocals. And he pretty much destroyed the songs that he said he loved. Also, for some reason, I'm not sure if you noticed this, in this scene, Scott is playing drums and Jason is on bass. Did you pick that up? I did see that. Yeah, that's weird. Um, Just random instrument mix-up. Yeah, I'm not sure if that's going to be... I don't think so. No, okay. Uh, we then enjoy a scene where Sebastian, you know, he's a real connoisseur of wine, I suppose. Uh, highlights maybe his drinking problem a little bit as well. And he's just like, oh, this bottle of wine's so, so good. And he goes up to Scott and says, man, you've got to try this bottle of wine. It's the most perfect thing. And Scott says, this is two buck chuck, dude. Charles Shaw. This this is like... It's actually really good, this though. This seriously costs $5 at Trader Joe's. So maybe not the connoisseur he thought hey, he was. To be fair, there's, there's you get a couple of good drops for under 10 bucks. You can. These you can. days, perhaps, perhaps he's a bit confused. Maybe he had a little bit to drink before that. That usually kind of... Uh, yeah. Because uh, after that, anything will taste good. Can also, yeah, can also your judgment. Yes. Sebastian and Doc finally have their big heart-to-heart -heart talk, which has been building up all episode. They really open up with each other. I think, they do. So, I, think I think there's a few tears. Yeah, I was quite um, impressed. Yeah. E even for me, you know, even watching it, I'm just like, oh, yeah. boy. I went through about four bucks of tissues watching <laughs> that episode. That was, uh, yeah, it was, it was sad. It's a big moment. Yeah, big box of ice cream. Yeah, you know, Ben and Jerry's. Yeah. Yeah, just <laughs> yeah, trying to... Put on a notebook after that and just cry myself to sleep. 
So they're all like, you know, let's just move on together. It's all fine from here. Uh, Evan has to leave for a day. I don't really know where and I don't care. They it doesn't, re- doesn't really matter. They didn't really tell you, did they? They don't really get a replacement beatboxer to substitute for his bass parts, no. which is fine. More so, the band is starting to doubt the name Fist. Yeah. Now, this is touched upon a bit later in future episodes. It's not exactly resolved here. Sebastian pitches Raw Dog. Yeah. And uh, Disband. Yeah. As in, Disband is like, we're going to disband, but but it's also like, like, Disband, man. Disband. Disband. Dat band. Disband. Another thing is, uh, I'm not sure if you've picked it up, but there's plenty of Sebastian in this episode. It's the Sebastian episode. It's a real Sebastian episode. It absolutely is. Uh, So one of the members of PR, this is Valerie, organizes an interview uh, with a journalist who happens to be a big fan and a friend of hers. She quotes this. And just so you know, she's very, very, very important to me. Like, right my business, everything. She's um, someone that I would want to be treated really well. You got it. Okay. You know, that's all nice and everything. And But unfortunately, Sebastian then appears as his usual uh, jovial self. Mm. Unique individual. So I'll play a bit of a montage now. He was out here and that's where he wanted to do the interview. But he has since left. Sebastian? Oh, okay. Do you want to... You don't have a shirt on? Leave me the f- alone. Yeah, you know what? I gotta go to the bathroom. So you're gonna have to give me like five minutes. That's reality. Is this that really him? Yes. <laughs> so more jamming then follows, and the band is starting to think what would be a good opening song. And they, I think they ended up deciding on one of their own songs. Uh, but it was quite interesting because they start talking about how, where did they place Take It Back in the set, and they're just like, you know, we should make that the second song. And they talk about how, you know, we don't want everyone to think we're a cover band. Yet, if you look at the set list from their gig, that is the only original song they play. They do 11 covers. Yeah. Which is just... Yeah, I I, I saw that. I heard them say that. I'm like, yeah, I don't think that's exactly what they're going to end up being. contradictory to what they end up doing. But this is quite tragic. Tragedy strikes as Jason starts to feel some numbness and pain in his hand and Mm. wrist. You know, it's very, very sad. He's very, you know, nonchalant about it. He's just like, oh, my hand's gone numb. Yeah. But we'll touch on that a little later. Next, Scott goes to the airport to meet his wife, Pearl. Uh, her father had just so happens to be Meatloaf, yeah. of all people. Yeah. Uh, I instantly thought here that, oh no, this is going to end well, when she wants to watch band practice. Mm. Watch the Beatles, people. Yoko Ono. Yeah. Never it's going to break up the band. Never bring a girlfriend to band practice. Yeah. Number one rule. So Jason goes to the doctor to check out his hand. And it's funny that he says, oh, you know, my name's, my name's Jason Bonham. I can't, I can't do his accent. It's a tricky one. It's tough. I'm in the band Foreigner. I play drums in a band called Foreigner. And the doctor's like, Foreigner, Foreigner. As in, as in Foreigner. As, as in Foreigner. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, sorry, he wants to fix up his hand. Uh, PR show up again. They want Sebastian to do a morning radio interview, which is what you touched on earlier, at nine o'clock, which, you know, is a fine hour, I suppose. Sebastian realizes that this means he can't go out tonight and comments a uh, comments on welcome to rock and roll reality that mm. I can't go out to he's like gone out every night in mm. this episode or these episodes so far also a bit of a side note Sebastian's uh, Skid Row song I Remember You just so happens around this time appears on a rock ballad compilation that actually debuts at number 18 on the Billboard charts yeah right yeah I, I noticed that you know all those you know really cheesy but well written 80s ballads mm. you know uh, so PR are sort of like, okay, maybe you guys should do a ballad. And the group instantly say no. Yeah. Because the real songwriters are Ted and Scott, you know, the real guitar players that drive everything. Yeah. Neither of them have written a ballad before in their life. No. They were quite 
um, objectionary about it. Yeah, really, they really, really quite didn't, so. They didn't want a bar of it. No. Literally. Mm. So the episode ends with Doc calling Rob Cavello, who's a well-known producer in America. And it's quite awkward. This They say their full names on the phone. So Doc's just like, hi, Rob Cavello. <laughs> and Rob's just like, hi, Doc McGee. <laughs> Hi, Jack Walker. How you it's, it's so scripted. It sounds so scripted. Well, yeah, it probably is. But the main reason is because Doc wants some ammunition so he can tell the band the song they've recorded is no good. I thought that was really um, risky in case he loved it. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, this imagine? is the best this song. Is the best song. Yeah. Unfortunately, it proves, uh, that proves not to be the case, as yeah. you'll hear next episode. But finally, Jason returns from the doctor, says to the band that he's got a nerve injury and will take him out of the group for potentially a week, yeah. possibly taking him out of the band's performance in Las Vegas. Yeah. Controversial ending, very cliffhanger. We'll have to see what happens, Jack. Cliffhanger. Sorry? We'll have to see what happens, mate. Yep. If you want to find out what happens, you can find out next week in uh, the next Track by Track podcast. Well, actually, not next week because you'll be on holiday. Absolutely. So we might be back the week after that. Yeah. We'll see how we go. And we'll be back with a big album. So that is Supergroup, the TV show. Now, Campbell, that is it for this podcast. We've had a blast doing Supergroup September. We'll be back in a couple of weeks when you come back from holiday. And... Really, that is about it. So that was Them Crooked Vultures with their self-titled album from 2009. And that is it for Track by Track with Campbell and Jack. I'm Jack. I'm Campbell. And that is Track by Track with... Campbell. And Jack. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.